Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around your period? Are you wondering if it's possible to be feminist and anti-birth control? We're going to explore these questions and so much more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast, because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in this journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, feminism, and fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get started and jumping into our conversation today, focusing on miscarriage loss, infant loss, child loss, and and most importantly, the ministry that you and your husband run, I'm going to give an introduction to our wonderful guest. So Kelly Bro gave birth to a set of twins in 2005, a son Talon and a daughter Emma Grace. Talon died after 15 days with Emma Grace joining her brother in heaven three years later. Ryan and Kelly were propelled onto a personal journey of both discovery and recovery after battling a decade of darkness in their marriage. By the grace of God, their marriage was saved. Through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, the bros found healing and restoration. Through personally experiencing the loss of a child and through their own suffering, the thirst of bringing those who suffer back to the light and to the Lord grew. Therefore, they looked to Mother Teresa, patroness of Redbird Ministries, for passion and inspiration to serve those who are suffering specifically through the loss of a child. In the gift of restoration, they felt called to help others navigate the pain and unexpected challenges that come from the loss of a child. And through their first divine vocation of parenthood, Redbird Ministries was born. And something awesome is that Redbird Ministries was named by Alatea as the top 10 ministries to know in 2020. So I'm just so excited, Kelly, to have you with us to be talking about um, your ministry, your book, your work, and just how this all started. So can you tell us a little bit more beyond this bio about your story? Yes, so absolutely. Thank you again for uh, for having me. This is such an important topic, and I think that the more we talk about it, the more that it's going to be brought to the light, and souls can be healed, and families can be saved. So again, thank you. <laughs> um, so okay, so we were my husband and I were married in uh, 2002 in the church, and um, of course, like Bridget said, we experienced child loss at a very young age. Um, I always tell, when I tell my story, I tell everyone like in the context that my faith was very immature at the, the age that we lost our, uh, our children. Um, and I guess because our marriage prep was not like on a solid foundation, we were, we struggled really to know where actually to turn when, uh, when this happened. Um, Ron and I, we, um, excuse me, we, um, experienced a loss. I was 25 years old at the time. And so going through that without the help of the church, uh, I felt very, very alone. And what I mean by that is that there was not any type of grief support in our parish nor in our diocese. So it, it took me to a place of looking for support in the secular aspect and, um, Coming, like growing through that and going through that, uh, one of the things that God was, that helped me to uncover and um, discover was that most of my questions had to do with my faith. So when I was seeking restoration through the eyes of the secular world, it excluded all of my spirituality. Most of these questions were, why did this happen to me? Like, what have I done wrong? Um, you know, why, why did God allow this? And those are big questions that I needed the help from, from my spiritual father. Um, I think what happened, uh, there was a time, um, I think about 100 years ago, I would say less than 100 years ago, when people actually mourned in public, or people actually knew that you were grieving and it has gotten so far past that where we actually people, they hide behind doors to grieve and not, not to, not out of shame or embarrassment. Am I saying this, but just out of a reality of what, how far our, our world has come into the aspects of mourning and how we view, we view mourning. And so 
all of that had to had a, a an effect on the way that I viewed mourning. So going back into that time period after um, first Talon and then Emma passed away, um, I really isolated myself and um, because my, my questions just were not being answered. And these questions, they were really big. And I think they were, they were bigger than most people could answer because, you know, we don't have, um, we don't have some of those concluding uh, answers to those big questions, but we do have a big church. And I think what I was looking for was help from the body of Christ, just to help me to journey through that healing and restoration with my faith. And I desperately needed, I needed someone to help me. So it's kind of how Redbird uh, came about after we lost Helen and Emma. It was really, I say God was probably tired of me hearing. He was probably tired of hearing me ask these big questions of why this support was not a part of the church. And um, he really sent me on a mission to, to begin the work myself. It is so beautiful, Kelly, and so hard too. And I think, you know, I, I love the point that you make about mourning in public versus mourning in private. Um, it just gets me really thinking like, you know, it is true. We don't really see when people are suffering unless we volunteer that information. You know, we're not wearing black. There aren't certain social aspects that we're participating in or culturally that we're, we're doing, at least in America. Um, so that you're really in this space, like unless you're putting it out on social media or you're sharing within your community or sharing with your friends, you're really looking for other people to hold you up. And I loved, I love to have a little bit more of a conversation because I know we talked about this in, in the Instagram live as well, you know, just seeing those gaps in the church. And, and really, I mean, I think from some of these gaps is really where your ministry stems from. So maybe we can kind of segue into that. But I think, you know, just speaking a little bit more, not to blame parishes, not to blame pastors, but I think the conversations that were lacking, I mean, you, you felt so personally, I know I felt personally as well in the space of having a miscarriage myself and just um, that struggle to say, where do I go? what am I supposed to do? You know, do you, you know, from questions of blessings and burials and processing and that emotional support, um, what, do, what do you see as being needed in that space of the church? And, yes. and what is Redbird Ministries to help answer some of those struggles? Absolutely. I can remember the first time that our pastor, after we um, started Redbird, he, he called me and he said, you know, Kelly, we have a 16 week loss. He was like, what can we help this family with? And, you know, a lot of the times that, you know, we look to the state or what is accepted by society to know what to do. Um, and there really wasn't because the state doesn't issue a death certificate in an early loss before 20 weeks. <clears throat> and so what, what we, um, what we advised, what I advised uh, our priests to do was to contact the funeral home and and to see if there was a way that we could give honor and dignity to that child and, um, you know, father could perform an actual burial and he was able to do that. But I think some of those, you know, especially in our state, you know, before 20 weeks, you know, there's really nothing that the state offers not until 2015 was a law passed in Louisiana that a family could ask for the remains of their child. It's still not wisely, widely known. So you will often find families very afraid when they're going through the miscarriage process to even go to the hospital because they are so afraid that they're not gonna be able to re receive the remains of their child back to give that child a proper burial. Um, so it's still, there's so much education uh, that's surrounding loss um, before 20 weeks um, that really needs to happen. Uh, where, and unfortunately, they're not teaching this in seminary. And so Father, uh, our father, our priest, Father McIntyre, um, he's been, I think he's been a priest almost 10 years, still did not, I guess, have an answer for this family and was seeking out support. And thankful, thankfully that we are in that parish that we were able to help that family. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that 
we are really trying to do is to give dignity to the life of the child before 20 weeks. I think laws protect um, beyond 20 weeks. um, But before that, there really isn't many laws that in our in our country that are valuing life. I think that's one one big step. Um, and if and if our if our government is not taking a step to do that, then it's up to us, the laity, um, to step up and to do things. I know the reason why that law was passed in 2015 in our state was because a very faithful couple experienced a loss and the hospital denied them the remains of their child. And so um, they went to their to the diocese and the diocese got them in contact with a pro-life coordinator and they advocated for life on that aspect. So I think, I think a lot has to change both in the way that the secular world views, views life, but also as the faithful. I have many people who will tell me, you know, Kelly, I lost a child before 20 weeks too. And, you know, the first thing I tell them is I'm so sorry. And what most of them say next, I think is a huge problem is they'll tell me, oh, it's okay. I was only five or six weeks. And what we don't realize is that as long as the faithful are speaking these words and not giving the dignity to that child, we will never have a stance on abortion. We are basically saying the same thing as the pro-choice side says, is that life does not have value until the laws prevail, which is typically at 20 weeks when we can actually take the child home and bury the child. So I think it's up to us as to correct the wrongs of the world and to speak the truth in every chance that we get so that um, as, as as a faithful community, that we can start to educate people on like life begins at conception and we have to give honor and dignity to that child. And that's the only way that we will ever be able to have a stance on abortion and be able to, um, to give the honor and the dignity to, to life that it deserves. I really like your point about how we are the church. We have a role in this too, that it's not just to say, oh, it's on the Pope, it's on the bishops, it's on the priests, although that education is good and to see that top down, but it's also bottom up. And, you know, it's not just on, on governmental laws, although they're very helpful, you know, and, and working together to say, okay, where, where do we come in to have an active role in this space? Um, and a space that's already really hard, you know, but I think, like you said, when an individual says, oh, I was only this far along, you know, there's somewhat of that separation from that loss, from that grief. But what is that really, you know, on a personal level, there's a lot going on there, but on a much larger scale, it is saying, okay, this life doesn't really matter until a certain point. When, if we as Catholics truly believe in the dignity of human life, womb to tomb, we have to honor and recognize every loss because it is a loss of a human life. Um, I know that was my own personal struggle in the miscarriage to think, oh, I was only X amount of weeks. And I knew that wasn't right. It was like, well, no, but this is real to me. You know, I don't need to respond in this way for someone else. Like what, this was a, this is a person. I lost a person of my family. Mm -hmm. I didn't meet them. I didn't see their face, but that was still a a person. And I know, you know, I think, and, and we'll touch on this in a little bit too. I mean, stats for miscarriage are much higher than I think we've, we've seen before, but I think some of that stems from the fact that we're talking about it more. We're trying to find ways to talk about it more to honor the space of loss. I know New Zealand just came out with a law to recognize parental leave for individuals who have lost a child through miscarriage. And while, you know, we could get into (laughs) their stances on abortion, there's something to be said there like, okay, well now you're recognizing life here. And can we start to see those, those changes and that turnover um, not only in laws, but in our hearts too, which I think is such a good a point that you make. It's a really good point. Um, so what is Redbird Ministries? I mean, you guys are really coming in in a, just an amazing way to serve men and women and couples in this space of grieving and loss. So can you just tell us everything about your ministry and what it is you offer? Yes, absolutely. So what we, our first intention was to serve the families in our diocese in Lafayette 
And one of the first things that Father Halpin at our diocese gave me to do, he gave me homework. He was like, go and see what other dioceses and parishes are doing. And I was like, really? I don't want to do this research. I just want to help people. Um, But what he did for me was he empowered me to go out and to actually like see the need and the lack. So this is not something that's just, that was just local to me as I started to uh, uncover and discover like this was not a diocese of Lafayette issue. This was a church issue that we are not meeting the needs of our families of loss. You know, and when I talk about grief support, because we are a pro-life, pro-family grief support ministry. So that means that we believe in all the teachings of the church, even the hard ones, which is, of course, no contraception sterilization and helping our families to, um, even though, you know, experiencing loss is traumatic and the fear of loss um, for our family after loss is real and valid, um, we do not give per- permission or justify that as a reason um, to contracept and sterilize. So we, we help our families um, through the, the complexity of loss so that they can embrace life in the fullest. Because we know the consequences of sterilization and contraception um, after loss is um, guilt, shame, embarrassment. And oftentimes, you know, our families are, um, are weeping on my sofa as my arms are wrapped around them because when they made a decision out of fear, it prevented them from having more children. Um, so Redbird, so we started out with just this idea that we were going to serve the families. We're sent on mission to figure out how we could do that. And as I started to uncover nothing, um, the first year of really of the ministry, what I did was just started to create things and make them Catholic. Um, so as I was researching, I would find good articles that had a lot of great points and ways to help families, but it just lacked the spirituality and the teachings of the church. And so what I did was I would just piece together puzzle, puzzle pieces of different materials and um, created some really powerful programs. So um, right now, currently, so how Redbird has developed over the last three years is we do serve families in our diocese, but we are beginning to develop other chapters um, in the church so that they can duplicate our efforts. And our hope is to be the touch point of of evangelization to the church for uh, grief support and child loss. The way that we're doing it is creating resources in in basically like a boxed approach, if you think about it, in that aspect of grief support to where that we can package together um, powerful resources so that other parts of the country, other church chapters, diocesan chapters, or even um, parishes, we call them our flocks, um, can go and just serve hearts. That the the time that was... um, it was taking our team to be able to create these resources just left me feeling like so frustrated because I was like, I don't have time to do the thing that I need to do, which is, you know, be in front of these families, loving them because all my attention was, you know, turn, turning towards actual, the content creation and the graphic design and, you know, when you start hiring a team, then it's like managing a team and, you know, paying taxes and payroll and stuff like that. So our hearts just really burn and desire to fill this need and this gap that we know that our church desperately needs to feel because, you know, what people do is when they're bringing themselves um, through Redbird, what is uncovered is that, you know, the grief is like the lane that they're traveling on but you have all of these little side roads that come to that lane and they get brought on their journey, which is past hurts, past wounds, childhood traumas they might've experienced. I know mine was my parents were divorced. So that got brought into my grief. And this father wound got brought into my grief that was revealed through my grief that 
reason why that I couldn't trust God was because I had this father wound that needed to be healed. And so the way that we are doing this is on a, a peer-to-peer support. So everyone who comes into the, the ministry and who walks with another family is a, is a family of loss. And we do this for one big reason. It's because communication breakdown happens when there's not shared experiences. St. John of the Cross talks about this into the Santa Mount Carmel when he describes um, the concept of explaining color to a blind person in the aspects of faith. And there's an abridged version that I was reading one day, and it was uh, some meditations on this concept. And Father, I think it's Mark um, Foley, I think is his last name. He explains um, the breakdown in communication and the aspects of exactly what St. John of the Cross said about explaining color to a blind person in the aspect of suffering. And he says, intellectually, it makes sense, but you can experience, um, well, when you're going through it and trying to explain it, you clearly understand that the person that you're communicating with does not understand what you're going through. So there's no amount of words that can properly articulate to someone who has not suffered what that suffering feels like, what they're going through, their struggles, like these thoughts, these emotions that are coming um, to them from someone who has not experienced that same type of loss. So it's very important. So what we do, um, we are we call our little flocks Uh, our little groups of families, our flocks. And so we bring them into our nest. And so we bring them to our nest. We give them rest. They find a a place where they belong and um, we, you know, sit with them, hear their story. And then we find out exactly what they need. And so typically you'll see like a lot of times like families um, will need spiritual direction. And so then we point them to a spiritual director, either a lay spiritual director or their priests Um, Or they might have some missing sacraments. So we help families whose marriages haven't been blessed to find, um, to seek convalidation. We have families that we help um, to start um, their, I'm I'm losing my, I'm losing my train of thought to, to start an annulment process. I couldn't think of the words, sorry guys. <laughs> so we'll help them to do that. Or it might be that they need to go through our CIA and they need confirmation or um, just whatever that looks like. You know, our primary goal is to bring the people back, our families back into full communion with God. Because the reality is that after you lose a child, your desire for heaven becomes, um, it becomes a primary focus of a family. You want to get to heaven because your child's in heaven, but sometimes it's disordered. And so it's like that pearl of great price. You know, we find a pearl and, you know, we want to sell everything um, to obtain that pearl. But what we don't often remember is that the merchant in the story is actually Jesus. He's pursuing us. He wants us back into full communion with him. And so we help our families to to get back into full communion with God by directing them and pointing them where they need to go. So we look at it holistically. So that's the whole person. Sometimes it's it's pointing our families towards um, counseling. Um, So we help them to find a vetted Catholic counselor because it does make a difference in your healing if you are going to a counselor that actually shares the same beliefs. Most often we don't consider that if we are not um, seeking a Catholic counselor, that they do not focus on the sacrament of that person's marriage. We've heard stories from families who um, basically, you know, their counselor has given them permission to get divorced when they're going through a trauma like this. And what they really need is actually to They need to be yoked together. And it's difficult because women and men, they grieve so differently. Like women typically, and I'm not saying all men and all women do this. What I'm saying is typically more than more um, that does than doesn't. Women tend to emote, you know, externally and men tend to like regress and hold their, their, um, their grief inside or what they'll do is they'll physically show their grief. So it can come out in anger, frustration, or in work. So sometimes they'll immerse themselves in work, which is really an unhealthy way um, of grieving. Typically you'll see someone after loss who'll say, I'm staying busy. 
And while to some degree or another, that really is, you know, it is productive and it is healthy. Anything in moderation is good. When it becomes, you know, disordered and um, when you are, you know, in gluttony of that or sloth of that, um, it really becomes a vice against the family and it's more harmful than good. And so we try to help our families to like, to identify some of these vices and some of these unhealthy grieving patterns and then, you know, and, and, and walk with them. Um, I firmly believe that virtue is caught. It's not taught to be able to, um, to model virtue. It has to first be modeled towards us. And so that's our, that's what we um, seek. And, you know, when we help and ask our companion couples, um, we seek couples who are modeling virtue and witnessing the power of Christ in their story so that they can attract families who have experienced traumatic um, experiences and loss um, to lead them back to Christ. This is all so beautiful. I, just reiterating what you had said earlier, this is about the whole person. I mean, you are not just looking at an aspect of a particular story. You're looking at the whole story and just seeing, okay, where, where are the wounds coming up? I loved the visual that you created of the lane of grief, but then there are these other side roads that come into play and impact the story, impact our journey and our experience with that. And just how beautiful it is that you're really walking with people and you're looking to say, okay, where what's missing sacramentally, the spiritual. And then you have, you know, the, just the, the physical, the, the psychological, just everything merging together so beautifully to really be able to get at the heart of what's going on and to dig deeper. Because I think it's the temptation is to say, I want to stay on the surface, you know, just get me through, <laughs> just get me through. Yes. And really that that journey that you're bringing individuals on to say, let's go a little deeper. I mean, just the different aspects of wounds that can come up to bring healing into those spaces too, is just incredible, you know, but it's not, I mean, I think, you know, someone listening might hear this and go, well, that sounds absolutely daunting, but you're not alone. And I think that's the beauty of the work that you're doing and just yeah. really making sure someone knows they're not alone. And when you're struggling and it's hard and you don't know, and you can't see the light, you know, that this is a space to, to help you bring that light to remind you, Christ is the light in the tunnel. You don't have to wait until the absolute end. Like there are resources available and tangible ways that you don't just have to like pray harder because I think that's something, you know, and maybe you can speak to this a little too, that I think sometimes we are, are tempted to do as Catholics is just, I just need to pray harder. Um, and just the aspects that you're bringing up is, well, yes, there, there is prayer. There are the sacraments to participate in, but there's also the reality that you may need a Catholic therapist. You may need to be doing more intentional work in your marriage or in the grieving process to really uncover and see what's going on. Um, do you find that individuals, I don't know, is, is there like a sense of relief in knowing, okay, okay, it's not just me having to pray harder. I'm praying wrong when you're, when you're walking with people, like, do you find that that's sometimes that dominant narrative in the space of your work? Yeah, I think typically all our families pretty much say the same thing. Like there's, there's a fear, an, an initial fear to come like, and I know this is probably speaking to multiple different types of wounds and traumas, but the, the, the fear that I'm going to be misunderstood, no one's going to understand what I'm going through, um, that I'm the only one that is experiencing this. I'm the only one that's having these thoughts. Um, I mean, that, that is, that is a reality of what we actually experience. I can remember, um, thinking if people would, would really know what is going through my head, they would think I would, I was crazy. Like they would give, they would have to give me medicine, but to actually say that in a, such a safe space with people who have experienced, I can honestly say like, if you're thinking it, I probably thought it too. And, and for, for me, um, it's taken me a while to get to a place where I can honestly say these things out loud. Um, but that's why I share my story so openly and share some of the, the most, you know, sacred parts of my grief that just are so humiliating and embarrassing when you say them out loud is because I know what it's like to stay in that and to feel that feeling of being totally out of control. Like, 
my, I prided myself in being this strong woman who, you know, I got married, we got married, we were starting a life, like life was beginning. And then all of a sudden I had no control over anything in my life, my emotions, um, my thoughts. And that is such a scary place to be. Um, and I couldn't understand how, how to get a hold of all that. And so like this idea that, yeah, you're alone in this and that no one understands that is just as a tactic of the enemy that he wants to keep us in that isolation so that we don't actually find healing. Like I always tell everybody, I do not want families to survive loss. That is what the world teaches. Get back to get back to normal business as usual. What we want at Redbird is for you to thrive, for you to find glory in your story, because there is power in the sacraments. There is healing. And that's not just something, it's not just this lofty idea. And it's not just something I'm saying, like, yes, theology teaches it, but I actually experienced it firsthand and then had to go back and study, like, what the heck happened to me, Lord? And God revealed like this, this greater story of like, there's actually teaching to what happened to you. But I, I think for me, Bridget, like I'm so stubborn. And I think that is one of the reasons why God gave me this mission is because I like, I feel sometimes like a mother Teresa, like if you don't send the ambulance, I'm going to go and take it. Like, I'm I, like, it's going to happen. Like, I, like God gave this, this greater desire. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, like this war is raged in my heart of love that to serve and to help, to help families. But that stubbornness also was a vice that God used to bring me to virtue. So he used my stubbornness. He used my anger um, to, to project my heart. He used the things that um, were not healthy to, to, to help me to understand. I'm not a person that can just accept things. I, I think I've always been, um, it's shameful to say, but the, the child who was disobedient until you, you show them to prove them. Uh, so like, even when people would say like, pray, you know, like that's easy for you to say, like you haven't lost a child. Like, so it took actually someone to invite me back to my faith who had experienced loss. That was the only way my hard head would actually listen to God's voice as he was sending all these people along the way for help. It, it, it actually took someone who had experienced the tragedy of losing her child at 10 years old when a drunk driver hit her, her and her, uh, her daughter leaving a concert to ask me to come back to my faith. Um, and she did it when she asked me to make my Curcio. Um, so absolutely a hundred percent. Like, I think there's so much fear. That's just so much fear and embarrassment and shame that, that and stigma behind actually seeking support. But I think when you, when you get to, to talking with other women or even men, it, other families of loss, you will realize that we all, we all say the same things. We all have the same pains. We all have a long for, for our children. Again, we, we all ask the same questions. Kelly, you're just amazing. I mean, really, truly, this is just incredible. Just the way you're sharing just the different aspects of your journey. And I know people are going to resonate with this. I mean, I know I am in just these spaces that you're talking about with, you know, how your own conversion back to the church just how, how different, different people touched your life at different points, but it really was someone also going through that loss and just how, how powerful it is for us, I think, to be open, to be vulnerable. You know, as we were talking about earlier that we don't always show our grief, but for the woman who went through loss and was willing to put her own heart out there to, to connect with yours is so powerful. And just the beauty in that vulnerability that when we share there's just so much power in having that connection with others and helping them on their own journey. I know um, we, we decided to share about our own miscarriage in our Christmas card. And when I had given it to coworkers, I had some coworkers come up to me 
and they said, Hey, I had a loss too. And these were some women in their, in their fifties and their sixties. And just, they just started talking about it. And I was just really honored by that, but also amazed, like, wow, because I was mm-hmm. like willing to say this. Cause there was part of me thought, no, I don't, I don't need to, it's just my close friends who know, and that's fine. But I thought, okay, but if I want to see a change in this space, right. If I want to ha- be, be met in my own grief, but also I want to be better about meeting others in their grief we have to sometimes put ourselves out there. And I'm, yes. I mean, just, I'm just seeing like for you and, and your husband, you know, you've developed and created Redbird Ministries through the grace of God through his work and through the ways he's worked on your heart to meet so many people in this space and to really walk with them. And just how beautiful that is, that it's proliferated into an incredible ministry. And just, I think for this, call to all of us in the spaces where we've experienced loss or grief to re-examine and say, okay, God, how can you use me? You know, how, how what, a, where do you need me to serve? Where do you need me to love? And, and sometimes I think when we're in the, the hard work of healing and it never necessarily ends, but we're in those early stages where it's really hard. Sometimes it is just focusing and saying, okay, Lord, I need to be rebuilt. I need you in this foundational work because things are amok. But in that space, as we grow, as we change, as we see the ways in which God's revealing his glory, you know, how are we called to go back out into the vineyard and say, okay, how can I love? How can I serve? And I love what you said, find glory in your story. I think that's just so awesome because it's, it's just, it's, it's not the numbing out. It's not saying just coast, get through it, push hard, keep going, keep moving. Don't let anybody see you're tough. You're strong. Like, okay. Yeah. You're, you're tough. You're strong, but there is glory in the story and your story. And to lean into that in such a holistic way has so much more power and strength than just powering through all the time. Um, and, and you started to touch on this a little bit, you know, how, how are we, how can we help women who are in this space and men who are struggling, you know, what, what we can do to help support individuals? Because like you said, you had a friend open up to you and I'm talking a little bit about that. What are some other practical, tangible ways to receive someone suffering and to serve them, to love them in their suffering? Because instead of just saying, you know, oh, you'll get through it or like, well, God's going to provide, don't worry. I mean, that's, that can feel like a slap in the face frankly, to have those little phrases said when it's like, I know what you're trying to get at, but I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you, what would you recommend? What are some practical ways that we can love people around us who we see are struggling with loss? Yeah. So I think the biggest misconception after someone experiences a loss is that we need to give them space um, where that is, there is an aspect of that and I'm not saying that does not need to happen, but I have so many, I have so many families that have said, you know, people were just afraid to talk to me. I've had families who said that, you know, they were at the grocery store and, you know, people have admitted that they didn't know what to say. And so they turned around and left. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I think our love, um, our love is prayer, but our love is also action. So I wrote down a couple of things that I thought have been the most, um, heart touching moments after my loss. One, I had a friend who had experienced a loss at, I think she was 15 weeks pregnant and she actually had to deliver the baby at the hospital. And that really touched her heart after that. And so she had made a conscientious effort after every friend who who she had experienced to invite them to do something. And so after we lost Emma, um, my friend, Heather, she Um, she called me and she said, Hey, I really want to take you somewhere. Would you want to come? It was like painting with a twist. So we, we went to paint and had a glass of wine and she was the first friend who was not afraid after Emma died to call me and invite me to do something. And I needed that. I needed that connection with another mom of loss, um, to just to go and paint. And we didn't talk about our grief. We went paint. And we had a glass of wine. So sometimes those, just those little, this, those little actions. Also, you can, if that's hard for you, or if you haven't experienced a loss, but you still want to love your friend through that, um, sending a card to the, to the family and telling them how sorry um, that you are, that they lost their baby. Um, I also have done this where I actually set a reminder on my phone 
um, to go and to visit a friend um, on the due date of their baby. And so just popping in, you know, you don't have to go with anything. You can bring something. I like to bring gifts, but um, just to let them know I'm here for you. I see you. I love you. And that you're not alone. And we also have on our website what we call our healing boxes. And so you can go on our website if, you know, if you don't live close to a friend and you can send them a healing box. We have some items in our benefit boutique. You can actually um, send it to them and we can write a little love note. There's also meal trains. I don't know any other mother who would ever deny someone to cook for their family. And so I think that's just a way to love another mother um, or another family um, is by setting up a little meal train for them. Cook And, you know, cooking is just one of those, you know, um, those daily tasks that we have to do as, uh, as a family. And if it's one less thing that that mama can have to worry about, that is an offering of love to her. I've had other families who said, that there, uh, there was a priest in their parish that would just bring them a rose. They would sign up after a loss and their priest would bring them a, a rose. So just a little visit um, from their spiritual father. And um, another tidbit, which is super important, ask the father that how he is feeling. Make sure you check on the men in the family as well, because our fathers, they feel so left out. Sometimes they find, I find that they don't feel worthy of receiving, you know, these, these checkups because it's their wife who actually physically experienced the loss, but the men, the men are grieving too. They're, you know, that's their child that they lost to. So don't forget to, um, to check on our fathers. Those are such great ideas. I really like those and just how, how practical, tangible they are in different ways that we can love someone else who's struggling and going through loss. And I'm glad you mentioned with the men too, just because you had, had um, talked a little bit about that earlier, just how women and men grieve differently too, and just making sure we're checking in on both and how, how good that is to do that. I know I had, I had mentioned this a little bit earlier and I want to circle back to it um, because I think there's a misconception that not many people experience a miscarriage or infant loss or child loss. And I, I think, um, especially when it comes to miscarriage, I mean, we see numbers like one in three, one in four. Um, and I know some of that has to do with, you know, women are more in tune with their bodies and their cycles. So they're much more aware of what's going on. But then I think there's also this um, element of, sh of sharing more, of opening up a little bit more around our grief and around our stories and helping women to not feel alone. I see this a lot on social media, which is really beautiful, but I know it's, it can't stay there in the, in the feed, right? What yeah. does it look like as far as stats go for loss and especially for miscarriage? I mean, I think we don't realize, I think, how, how high it is in that we can be in a room of 20 women and there are probably a few women in there who experience loss of some kind. Yeah. Can so, you just touch yeah. on that? Yeah, so absolutely. So one in, one in three, one in four, some statistics say one in three, some say one in four pregnancies end before um, the baby is born. Um, so in the, in the secular aspect, so in, if you look at the country as, as a whole, we're looking at about 800,000 miscarriages that are recorded. So that's not to mention the ones that might have happened before um, they actually see the doctor before. Uh, I think typically it's like eight weeks. Um, so that number actually, I think, probably is more in the lines of one in two, one in three. I, um, I know both me and my sister, we're only two in our family and both of us have experienced miscarriage. I think a lot of families can probably attest to that. We have some families that we serve who, um, who have multiple losses, six. I have one mother that we've served that has had 10 miscarriages. So sometimes when a family is, you know, struggling to conceive, like it's not just one, it's, it's multiple and I think each loss, it just, you know, it compounds that grief. And, you, you know, just when you're, you're starting to get your feet back on the ground, it's happening again. Um, so those losses are tremendous. So like when we, when, when you think of grief support or child loss, 
a lot of times the misconception is that we just serve like new loss and that's not true. You know, we're serving families. One of our couples that came to us uh, at one of our workshops, their baby had died 18 years previously, um, but they were still holding on to some um, being open, uh, some openness to life. And uh, we were help, we were able to help them through that. Um, stillbirth and uh, yeah, stillbirth is about 30,000 stillbirths a year. And then after, after birth up to a year, it's around the same amount, about 25 to 30,000 babies that are passing away. And that's just in the United States. That's not um, throughout the world, um, which I'm saying that because um, when you look at our analytics from our website, we have been in communication with families from over 30 different countries. Um, and that's within the last seven months, which was mind-blowing to me that uh, we've had you know over 11,000 unique visitors from 30 different countries so as we are looking through statistics just on the you know just the the United States of America we we know like our church is universal it's throughout the you know the entire world and so the impact of redbird um, has the potential um, to also serve the entire church wow that's incredible. And just how many different visitors you've had from all over the world. I mean, the beauty of, I think this online space and an online website, and then, you know, you have boots on the ground as well, but just these different avenues in which you can serve virtually and in person. Um, it's just so impactful and incredible so that individuals can really, it's not limited to where you live. You know, it's, it's your, you've broken beyond, you know, just a, a community or a neighborhood or a state and just to be able to serve in so many different capacities. I know I've, I've shared your resource with friends. I've shared it with my doula. And, and I know that that's something that they really appreciate having and knowing, especially my doula was really grateful, like, okay, good. I actually have something tangible as I work with families, because it is, it's something that's so needed. And, and when you're struggling to figure out, okay, is it a book? Is it a, a pamphlet? You know, just to have really, you've got like the one-stop shop going on with your, with your site, which is incredible with your ministry. Um, and I mentioned book because in addition to all of the work that you're doing, you also wrote a book. I did. I wrote um, a biography of my, my journey. Um, I, I kept going to my, uh, our local, Catholic bookstore, uh, over the course of many years as, you know, things would happen. And, you know, um, I would, I kept asking, is there a book on child loss that talks about healing? And every time I go, I was told no. And so I was like, you know what? I, I think that God is asking me to write my story. So my book is called hiding in the upper room, how the Catholic sacraments helped me to heal from the grief of child loss. So specifically how the sacraments heal, like how tangibly and how we can seek that healing, um, which is so important because I think what people oftentimes think is that, you know, like I, my healing has to happen when I'm stopping crying or I'm, I'm able to talk about it. And that's, that's not, that's not necessarily what healing looks like. Healing looks like is when we can embrace joy and suffering together. There is times, even 15 years later, after our son passed away, where I'm sitting, looking, find myself sitting, you know, not planned, but sitting and looking at his pictures and longing to hold him again. So if you had to look at my story, I'm still crying and, and, and wanting my child in my arms. That pain will never leave. And we know that because that is what is, is that's what we find in heaven. Um, our mind and our heart are, I always tell this to, to uh, my spiritual, my spiritual director, my mind and my heart, they're always in battle. Intellectually, it makes sense. Intellectually, I know what I'm supposed to, supposed to be doing, but sometimes my heart, it struggles to catch up. And um, so I wrote, I wrote this book specifically to other families um, who are struggling to seek support, who um, might be feeling so alone that no one understands as basically a key to open their heart. So it's a, if, if you are, if you have, or if someone you know has experienced the loss of a child, uh, 
I would give them this book. It's a, it's the first step, I think, to help a family to understand one, what they might be experiencing and to, to open their heart to begin to begin to heal. This is so great. And we're going to link to it as well, because I think just like you said, it's that first step and just exploring and, and seeing, okay, what, are, what's my next step? How do I do this? How do I navigate this space? And then what I love is that really your, your book is such a beautiful tie into your ministry so that there are these tangible steps someone can take where they, you know, they're not just, you know, not to say other books where, you, you know, it offers practical, you know, support, but to have a ministry to, t- to tie back to and, and to go to for even more support and more breadth of information. I, it's just so great. Kelly, I'm just so grateful for the work that you and your husband are doing and everything that you and Ryan are, are accomplishing through the grace of God, through the work and the, and your yes. I mean, really through, through all of the, the challenges and the struggles and the fire and just to see this beautiful ministry coming through to support individuals to find finding glory in their story. I just, I am, I'm loving that because <laughs> it's something that we all need to remember. We all need to remember. So we will definitely be linking to Redbird Ministries, Kelly's book, any other resources um, that she would like us to share on here in the show notes and just giving a little bit more uh, background from this episode. But thank you so much, Kelly, for being on, for sharing. It's just been a blessing to be with you today. Thank you so much. And before we go, I just want to let everyone know, uh, Ryan and I have another book coming out. It's called Restoring Love, and we hope uh, that it will um, hit our store. You can make, you can purchase um, on our website a pre-order, but we hope we'll have our tangible copies uh, in May. It's a 33-day guide consecration to the Holy Family, and it's Modern Day Saints, which is St. Louis and St. Zeli, who we know have lost four children after birth. Um, walking with Ron and I, um, modern day saints, I mean, modern day sinners <laughs> towards healing and restoration. And so we've un- unpacked 33 questions, conversations that couples can have in the privacy of their home to help them to begin to heal as a couple. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so excited. This is great. <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So I'm really, I'm really excited for this and we will definitely link to that. And I will for sure be sharing because what that's so beautiful consecration to the Holy family and having Saints Louis and Zaley interceding as well. I mean, just how powerful that's so great. I know I keep saying beautiful, powerful, but I mean, really, these are the words that are just encompassing. I think this, this work that you're doing and, and through this interview, just to hear the amazing ways that you're impacting so many lives and just really bringing people closer to the Lord, which is just such a gift. So thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you'd like to learn more about fertility awareness, visit www.managingyourfertility.com for more information, resources, guides, and so much more.